Prime Minister John Howard um, announced on one of the uh, major radio stations in Sydney one day that the price of an ordinary man's beer would not increase as a result of the introduction of the GST. And in respect of packaged beer, he was absolutely correct. But whoever gave him the, that advice had neglected to factor in the additional margin on on-premise beer and therefore uh, the introduction of the GST did put a schooner of beer up by uh, 10 cents. The opposition of uh, that era back in 2000, uh, they milked that for everything they could. Peter Hurley went from fixing the front door of his small country pub to helping fix difficult political problems. Prime Minister Howard came up to uh, the table and uh, said, Peter, uh, I think I'd like to see you and Richard in the morning. I think we can advance that idea of, uh, that the AHA has put forward for the, uh, for the discounted rate of, um, of excise for bulk beer. And it prevails to this day. To this day, it still saves the beer drinkers of Australia t 10 cents a schooner. But Peter, as the long-serving president of the AHA in South Australia, wasn't on such friendly terms with No Pokies MP, Nick Xenophon. He made our life a misery and he was a very clever retail politician. Very, very clever indeed. And it's uh, an issue of great fortune for us uh, that he got over-ambitious. My name is Tim Boylan. Today I have the privilege of interviewing Peter Hurley who from humble beginnings has grown the Hurley Hotel Group to 11 hotels, Peter? Uh, 12, I think. 12 hotels in partnership with his wife, Jenny. Peter was president of the AHA SA for 24 years, was president of the National AHA, chairman of Sip and Save, chairman of the National Alcohol Beverage Industry Council, a board member of IGC, Manco, Hospitality Group Training, the National Accommodation Council, National Gaming Council, Drinkwise, the SA Tourism Commission and also the Australian Tourism Commission. Outside hospitality, he's served on boards such as the ABC, the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, the Adelaide Oval Stadium Management Authority Board and he also served on the board of his beloved Crows, the Adelaide Football Club. He has been honoured with life membership of the state AHA and national AHA and in 2016 was made an officer of the Order of Australia. So Peter, out of all of that, what have been the most critical and defining issues that you've had to deal with? Was it the introduction of gaming in SA, the Manco buyout or, or maybe an elusive Crows premiership? Just before I answer that, I uh, should uh, have asked you to add to the bio uh, the fact that I'm also a life member of the Adelaide Football Club. Uh, excellent. Uh, more importantly. Good to hear. Uh, but to, uh, now to your question, um, there were a lot of uh, chapters to that uh, long period and, and probably uh, the ones in the early stages were the formation of uh, the transition of the industry into gaming and running in almost parallel with that the uh, the SA Manco deal which gave the opportunity to 104 uh, SA brewing lessees uh, to purchase the freehold of the hotel that they'd been paying rent on in some in the case of the Alberton Hotel for 70 or so years. Indeed. So, so maybe we start with Manco. Um, 104 family-owned hotels, um, what became family-owned hotels, but they were owned by what was at the time... The South Australian South Brewing Australia. Company. Yeah. Had, had, and that related back to the Tide House system from uh, England, Ireland, Scotland, where breweries owned hotels for distribution reasons. Uh, so it had existed in this state forever. And uh, at the time that we were able to pull off the Manco deal, 89 families purchased their hotels um, yes. in two tranches because we didn't have enough money to buy them in the first tranche. So we were in a, uh, 
uh, we were in a joint venture with uh, SAB for, or then Lion, mm. uh, for five years before we completed the purchase of them. So who were some of the people that were pivotal in Manco? That's a great question and the history of the evolution of that when Lion took over, Lion Nathan as it was then, took over uh, SA Brewing in about, I'm guessing about 92 or 3, Sir Douglas Meyer, the chair of uh, Lion Nathan, had promised both his institutional shareholders and his bankers that within the first year he would uh, would, uh, sell off the... 104 hotels, but only would deal in one line. So the the hotels had to be purchased in one line. Yes. That presented a problem for all the individuals and um, the late Ian McLaughlin and Martin Bailey, who had an interest in uh, the bottle, who owned the bottle shop on Goodwood Road. Uh, He called me on the... (coughs) on the Sunday night of the October long weekend and said, McLaughlin and I are down here at the Holiday House in Victor Harbour. Uh, we've got an idea how we can might be able to deal on this in one line uh, on behalf of everybody and try and get uh, so effectively 104, which became 89, joint ventures uh, to uh, all act in one line. So we, ha- we had to turn up on the 1st of October the following year, uh, everybody had to turn up with their 10% deposit on the day for what turned out to be the 89 uh, joint ventures. And the 89 of us that participated uh, had to buy the remaining 15 hotels for those that hadn't participated, which we did and we all did very well out of that as well. But 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 I seem to remember that... that didn't happen as smoothly. It, it caused quite a bit of angst that not everybody was involved in, and it was a sort of a financial uh, burden on some people to actually contribute more, or, or am I Well, it was, a bit, it was a bit... It was an additional burden at mm. a time when we were all uh, uh, struggling. It was um, just before the introduction of gaming. Uh, the industry was probably going through its hardest time uh, since uh, since the end of uh, World War Two, and uh, it was uh, controversial. Uh, it was it took the might of uh, there were five of us elected onto a um, transition committee or a, some sort of a committee. There was myself, Peter O'Shaughnessy, uh, Greg Fay. And maybe others, but but Peter O'Shaughnessy and Greg Fay did a huge amount of work at that time, and it, it was the power of personality of people like Greg Fay. You know, Ian McLaughlin would tell us, "Oh, we're struggling with the guy at uh, somewhere," mm. and. Um, Greg would say, oh, I know him, I used to go fishing with him or whatever, I'll give him a call and see if I can get him over the line. And Greg was very influential, as was Peter O'Shaughnessy, in uh, getting people over the line to uh, to participate in that opportunity. And it's been, um, it's transformed the, uh, the wealth of um, most of those people. Yes. Peter, so you said before that at the same time um, um, we were seeing the introduction of gaming. Now, you would have been uh, vice president um, during the latter stages of of the SA Parliament approving gaming. That's correct, then, yeah. yeah. And our president, as you would uh, remember, was um, the late uh, Fred Bashir OAM. And Fred and Ian Horn did an incredible amount of work uh, because, uh, as you may or may not know, that was a, uh, a legislation of that nature is not decided on party lines but is mm. a conscience vote. Uh, so um, Fred and Ian spent uh, many dozens of hours across the road at uh, North Terrace uh, and um, including down to the last day when the legislation was passed and they assisted in getting uh, uh, Mario Filippo uh, MLC over the line 
to get the legislation through in, I think it was May 1992. And... and the legislation was put up by the late Frank Blevins, is that...? They, yeah, that's correct. And it really, it, it was, a, it was a, um, a direct result of the uh, state bank debacle. Um, the weekend after uh, the, the, the depth of the state bank problem became known, mm-hmm. uh, the um, Labor government of the time led by the late John Bannon uh, met uh, down in the Flurio Peninsula somewhere and decided how they were going to get it, the state out of the financial quagmire that the uh, state bank guarantees caused for the government. And uh, it was a resolution of that meeting which managed to leak through to us uh, that one of the ways they could ar- uh, raise additional state taxes uh, was to um, uh, permit the uh, the introduction of uh, poker machines effectively mm. into pubs and clubs in South Australia, as existed in every other state except one. Were you were you surprised that it, it, that it, that it got through? I mean, they had it, it was a long, hard fought battle over many years, wasn't it? It was a, the the battle had been fought for many years. That's right, and uh, it was really the state bank issue that opened the window for one more crack at it. Mm. But you were so um, Fred and Ian were on the uh, the front line, Peter. Um, Correct. W- what was your role as? Uh, as well, I was uh, Fred's vice president at yep. the time, and um, it was it was a joint effort, you know. S- different ones of us knew different MPs better than others. Yep. <clears throat> and as there were some members of council uh, that whilst they weren't office bearers, they knew their local country member. So it was, uh, in, a, in a lot of ways, it was an effort from everyone uh, uh, to talk to those MPs that they knew best, mm. uh, whether they were from Labor or Liberal or wherever they were. Yeah. Um, because it was a close vote in the, uh, um, in the lower house, but went through if I recall correctly, for a higher number of machines than 40. And it was an amendment of, um, of the late, uh, um, the late uh, George Weatherall oh, yes. that amended it back to uh, for a maximum of 40 machines. And um, it then went to the upper house uh, and that, that's where the real battle existed mm. and eventually, and I've forgotten at the moment exactly who, but someone convinced for various concessions for Mario Filippo to, um, uh, to support it and that got the legislation through the upper house. So Jay Weatherall, who's, um, whose uh, son became Premier, Premier. and who uh, the Alberton Hotel was their local hotel. Very much so. Very much so. Um, and it didn't end there, did it? Because it, it was uh, <coughs> Parliament voted in favour in 92, but then through 93, uh, the advertiser ran a very strong campaign against it. Um, there was a failed bid to repeal the legislation. It, it wasn't sort of all beer and Skittles. No, it, w- it was a very rocky uh, road from that point till uh, before the first coins were dropped into the slots. Um, and including a um, and including the uh, an inquiry, yes, um, where judge uh, a judge was appointed to inquire that uh, into uh, the involvement <coughs> of a consultant that the AHA had used, and uh, yes, yeah, so we we had a lot of anxious moments yes, in that. Yes, and 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 uh, that was uh, found to be unsubstantiated. It mm. was indeed, and mm. eventually the. Uh, uh, eventually, with the long time that it took to write the regulations, uh, uh, the formation of uh, the IGC, which was a success story in itself yes. and remains so. Let's talk uh, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about. Happy the, to talk about mm, that. T- t- Tell me about the, the the independent gaming corp corporation or commission. A corporation. Corporation. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, which was a joint was and is a, a joint venture between the Hotels Association and the Licensed Clubs Association, and um, it was really a everybody wanted to get their nose into the monitoring side of the business because it was seen as a revenue opportunity. Mm. Uh, the industry could see the dangers of uh, companies getting their hands on that that had a proper motive. Um, so uh, with the assistance of James uh, Jim Stitt, uh, we put up this model of the, indep- of the IGC uh, owned by uh, the two organisations that could not get a benefit from it, mm. uh, but the benefit being that it was to be run just as a, a, as a lean, mean monitoring machine uh, with a zero profit motive and therefore at the lowest possible cost uh, for the industry. And has gone on to be a, a major um, philanthropic uh, body for a lot of charities in South Australia. Yeah, many millions of dollars. We, um, I think uh, in the 24 years or so, or 25 years that I was on uh, the board of IGC and the deputy chair for most of that time, um, we used to put aside about, to 800 and something thousand a year. So multiply that by the, the 26 years mm. or whatever that um, is a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's uh, that the IGC takes submissions uh, put, put in uh, by both the clubs and pubs and uh, has given away and assisted many organisations to the tune of many, many millions of yes. dollars. So, Peter, the um, you know, for people who, who weren't there at the time, you, you you said that hotels were actually going through some of their darkest days uh, prior, you know, to it's it's darkest just before dawn, and uh, pokies uh, gaming revenue has transformed hotels into uh, these family friendly. Uh, establishments that we get today where the, you know, award-winning dining rooms and um, it has really transformed it. it it's been transformational for the industry, absolutely. Um, per capita consumption of alcohol had been, had grown from the end of uh, World War Two until... Uh, the budget of 1975 when there was a savage increase in the excise on uh, beer and spirits. And um, it was just going down. The economy was in a bad state. The industry was um, was going through an extremely tough time. So that being able to add one more revenue stream uh, one more department to uh, the the our offer um, was uh, gave people the confidence to reinvest in the industry, uh, gave people the ability to run uh, higher standard gaming. Yes, contrary to a lot of people, it didn't reduce the n- amount of live musician hires in hotels. It increased them, and uh, and it. Um, been an overall uh, benefit to the industry but to the psyche of the state. Mm. All right, let's jump in the time machine and and, and go back. Um, so you, um, you weren't handed your 12 hotels on a silver platter. Um, you, uh, you know, you, you come from humble Irish uh, uh, stock and, um, w- yeah, um, from Casterton in Victoria and your first hotel was in country South Australia. So tell me about that. Yeah. I shifted to Adelaide from Casterton, as you point out, uh, in um, the May of 68 to go, of all things, to Teachers College, having decided that my short career in banking wasn't going to uh, see me through till I was 65. Uh, so uh, I came over here, went to, um, uh, went to Wattle Park Teachers College, 
and uh, later taught at um, Hendon and Parafield Gardens and Paynham Demonstration School. But in the period when I was a student, I also moonlighted in some uh, pubs and restaurants and uh, really by the time I started teaching, I decided that perhaps my longer-term future was really in hospitality, which um, obviously from a very low capital base, uh, the first opportunity of what appeared to be a good lease and fortunately was a good lease uh, and the only one that I could afford, the Mm. best one I could afford Mm. was at Woodner on Air Peninsula and uh, uh, that was where my um, life in hotel ownership started, July of 1975. And then you... Purchased after a while, several pubs, but you came back to the city to the Hotel Royal. Um, is that right? Yeah. Um, so I started... And the reason I ask you is that because I think it coincides with um, the introduction of Sip and Save and encountering mm. freestanding bottle shops and, and supermarket-based liquor chains. So I'm wondering whether you can dovetail yeah, sure, into that. Yeah, sure. I can dovetail that. Um I, I'd, when I'd been in uh, Woodner for about two and a half years, my brother had expressed, uh, Brian and Robin had expressed a view that uh, they wouldn't mind getting involved in the hotel industry. And at that time, the Pierce Matthews Group uh, put the, the first hotel that they owned as a joint venture on the market, being the lease of the uh, Spencer Hotel in Wyala. Uh, so that would have been January 78, I'm guessing. Or, and um, uh, so that was my first SA Brewing lease. And uh, so um, I purchased that. The, the Really, the, the verbal meeting with that was with the, the late Seymour Matthews himself. Ah. And um, so I shifted to Wyala. Um, Jenny came to... Um, shifted to Wyala as a nurse. Uh, We were married in 1979 and when we got back from Europe in uh, late 79, uh, the brewery themselves were uh, operating the Royal at Torrensville. Uh, They put that on the market. We managed to, uh, with the assistance of um, some submissions to our bankers uh, from the late Brian Lovell, uh, we managed to raise the money to buy the lease of the uh, Royal at Torrensville for the grand sum of $140,000. And um, uh, so that was where Jenny's and my um, life in Adelaide commenced. Uh, we shifted in there in December 79. And at that very time, as you just mentioned, um, the hotel industry was uh, facing up to the fact that Coles and Woolies and and freestanding bottle shops were joining marketing initiatives and um, Fred Bashir and Peter Whalen uh, were uh, prevailed upon to for the AHA to put together a marketing co-op which started its life as Red, White and Amber. We then joint ventured with... Uh, um, uh, we then joined uh, some other hoteliers who'd put together the Sip and Save group. Yes. We merged, adopted their name, and uh, I think I was on that uh, Sip and Save committee and chaired it for, you know, probably 10 years or so, I imagine. So, so for a publican, pre-Sip and Save, call that, and post-Sip and Save, what, what were the changes? What were the well, benefits? Well, it was being – there was a – from from uh, uh, the budget of 1975, uh, when when prices went up so much, there was um, a very distinct swing from consuming on premise in a bar mm. uh, to uh, uh, to takeaway liquor, and uh, there'd been a couple of uh, industry recalcitrants who'd introduced this evil thing of 13 to the dozen and discounting of packaged beer. Right. So so for a cooperative marketing group to emerge uh, uh, just became a commercial imperative. And, and to put that into some context, just thinking about beer alone and how the 
the habits of the beer drinkers of Australia has changed. Mm. When I went in uh, bought the Woodner Pub in 1975, brewers around the nation, the total beer production, 75% of it went into barrels and was essentially consumed in bars around the nation. Yes. And 25% of the beer produced in Australia went into primarily long neck bottles. Uh, and to uh, to move on to today, mm. uh, particularly if you exclude New South Wales where the, uh, the ratio is a, a bit more favourable to on-premise consumption, around about 80% of the beer produced in Australia goes into uh, containers of various types and is substantially uh, consumed off-premise and only about... 20% of the beer brewed in Australia is in barrels and, and consumed in bars, etc. Indeed. So that's the extent of – and that is why the industry had to become more professional at the marketing of their um, takeaway liquor uh, at mu- much lower margins, of course. The consumer has benefited enormously. And and uh, we're talking today at the Arkabar and your Arkabar sellers drive-through is sip and save. It's – continued on and um, is part of a national buying group now. Yeah, we've been part of the Sip and Save group since uh, the week after we bought the uh, Royal at Torrensville in December uh, 79 and um, it's uh, one, (coughs) it's been uh, the most successful and enduring um, uh, marketing cooperative in the the hotel industry Mm. and is, is in fact now national. Peter, if I can just change gears for a moment, I, I mentioned that, that um, you know, one of the things you might be remembered for is that you saved beer drinkers 10 cents every time they go and buy a schooner at the bar. Now, that links back, I understand, to uh, your time as president of, of the National AHA, and, and, I, and I understand that um, this was to do with the introduction of GST uh, uh, on the 1st of July uh, 2000 uh, and that there was something called the Darwin meeting that was is pivotal in this and, and John Howard has a starring role. Tell me, tell me what happened. Yeah, uh, probably the most courageous political decision of recent history in mm. our federation was the and certainly the biggest change to uh, the tax structure of much needed tax reform uh, was the courageous move of the Howard government to introduce GST uh, never repealed by um, subsequent governments that opposed it at the time by the way on no doubt on the advice of treasury officials um, uh, prime minister john howard Um, announced on one of the uh, major radio stations in Sydney one day that the price of an ordinary man's beer would not increase (laughs) as a result of the introduction of the GST. And in respect of packaged beer, he was absolutely correct. But whoever gave him that advice had neglected to factor in the additional margin on on on-premise beer and therefore... Uh, the introduction of the GST did put a schooner of beer up by uh, 10 cents. The opposition of uh, that era back in 2000, uh, they milked that for everything they could, obviously. It's funny how complex decisions come down to the most simple things, isn't it? That that it was all about the price of a beer. Exactly. Mm. And it presented a huge problem for the government of the time because they collected that GST for 12 months, but they had to get, and they couldn't get it through the Senate. And it was a major, major problem for the government in the months of uh, April, May, June of 2001, uh, because uh, the non-government parties and the independents were not going to finalise the approval of that GST legislation. The Associated Australian Associated Brewers attended a national executive meeting in Darwin in, I'm going to say, the May of 2001. Mm-hmm. And they 
presented to us the visual representation of uh, Prime Minister Howard making that statement about the price of a beer wouldn't increase. And uh, they wanted the AHA to join them in a national TV campaign uh, castigating uh, the government for that. The national executive to a person were very gun shy of that. I can recall from the chair uh, suggesting that the only way the government were going to get out of it mm. was to introduce a differential in the excise rate on bulk beer at a lower rate than so as the, the Howard announcement could become true. Um, Richard Mulcahy, the then CEO of the AHA that, that, National... And that, that, that meeting was uh, not without some degree of friction and heat, as I understand it? Was yeah, it the, the AHA and the then Associated Brewers had had a very good relationship that hit a new low that day. <laughs> uh, as yeah, happens we, with these we, things. We, we got the uh, soft cock treatment that day. <laughs> uh, but, but there was no way we were going to make an enemy of the government of the day, whatever the persuasion it was, uh, over this issue. We, we were looking for a solution rather than a fight. Yes. And that solution was to create that differential, uh, which I suggested the only way we... Or the best way for us to get that through was to uh, get... Uh, the then uh, national director of the Liberal Party to um, to try and convince John Howard or his chief so, of staff so, to so do you, that. So you said to... Richard Mulcahy. Richard Mulcahy. Go and ring Linton and see if we can get a meeting with him on this issue. By pure coincidence, Linton Crosby, who's a bit of a V8, um, now, now Sir Linton Crosby, by the way, uh, is a bit of a V8 fan and he was in Darwin for the V8s. Uh, so we met with him uh, immediately uh, after our national executive meeting, put the suggestion uh, to uh, Linton. He phoned Arthur Sinodinus immediately in our presence and said, I think these blokes have uh, got a solution for us for... Uh, that'll help us get the GST legislation finally approved by the Senate. Arthur Sinodinus was... Uh, Chief, Chief of Staff, Staff to the Prime Minister mm. at that time, now the, um, uh, now the ambassador in Washington. And um, so Arthur wanted to meet uh, with us the next morning. And, um, and so Richard Mulcahy and uh, the late Peter Burnett got on a plane out of Darwin that night, made the, the red eye to, uh, to Canberra, uh, met with and put the proposal to Arthur the following morning. And um, then when the AHA a few weeks later hosted a magnificent, probably the best event that we've ever hosted in my time in uh, the AHA national body. We hosted a uh, centenary of federation dinner in the Great Hall at um, uh, in Canberra. Mm. Attended, um, emceed by t the late Tim Fisher and another Vietnam veteran who was a Labor MP from Western Australia. They um, uh, it was just a fantastic night. Keynote speaker Professor Jeffrey Blaney, who. Uh, yes. Um, a hero in my uh, and on that night I happened to be sitting beside him at dinner. It was a, a special, a, a great historian. Mm. And uh, uh, Prime Minister Howard came up to uh, the table and uh, said, "Peter, uh, I think I'd like to see you and Richard in the morning. I think we can advance that idea of uh, that the AHA has put forward for the uh, for the discounted rate of." Um, of excise for bulk beer and it prevails to this day. To this day it still saves the beer drinkers of Australia t 10 cents a schooner. Indeed. But that wasn't that wasn't the only uh, problem with the transition to GST, was there? Because there was a, another sticking point which which was to do when, uh, when it would come into effect. Yes, uh, which of course was a year earlier. Um, the, the legislation must have gone through in the first half 
of 2000 or maybe the fourth quarter of uh, uh, 99. Uh, it, it would have been in 99. And uh, the legislation went through and to become effective at midnight on the 30th of June. Uh, Richard Mulcahy had made numerous attempts to convince the Treasury people who had the, uh, had the carriage of bringing this to happen mm. um, couldn't be convinced of what he was talking to them about because all 24-hour industries, including the hotel industry, the casino industry, the entire accommodation industry, that doesn't roll their day at midnight. We roll our day at, as does IGC, at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. Mm. Um, so uh, Richard called me up and said, uh, uh, the only way we're going to fix this is to convince uh, Treasurer Peter Costello. Uh, that Peter, so, so just so I understand, so if someone was to check into your hotel on the, on the, during the day and have a room, an overnight stay... Is it a question of whether GST is applied or GST is not applied? Mm. Mm. It wasn't clear because whether half the yeah. day is non-GST and was, half the day yeah. is GST. Was a hundred hundred dollars of the tariff uh, exempt of GST and the remaining fifty dollars of it from midnight to four a.m. And the like. We couldn't close the bars at midnight and alter the pricing yes. and uh, and and from from one minute past midnight start putting aside one eleventh of our sales for GST. Yes. It just wasn't going to work. It mm. couldn't work. Mm. Uh, so um, Richard called me and said, I know that uh, Peter Costello is going to be in Adelaide for lunch on Sunday. I need you to be there and take it up with him. Australia's treasurer of the time. The treasurer of, uh, uh, of the Commonwealth um, Parliament. So I said, it's, it's a bit tricky. Uh, it's school holidays and um, Jenny and I and the kids are uh, on the Gold Coast. He's, Peter, you've got to be there. <laughs> so I got up at about four o'clock in the morning, drove up to the uh, Brisbane airport, caught a Brisbane to Adelaide flight, went, went to Ayers House where this presumably a fundraising lunch was, um, took it up with uh, um, Treasurer Costello and uh, he got a very worried look on his face mm, he because understood. He, he immediately understood the night and he said, don't tell me we're going to have to amend the legislation. I never <laughs> wanted to touch that legislation <laughs> again. And uh, he said that it would and he, uh, I, I confirmed that that was the only way it could happen and he said you'll get a phone call in the morning from his then Chief of Staff who now heads up Treasury. So I got a phone call on the Monday morning and uh, he's, uh, uh, he said um, uh, you've made life very unpleasant for us here but the Treasurer confirms that we're going to just go through it with me again. Uh, he and I had a discussion and, uh, and in fact, the government did have to take an amendment to the legislation for it to come in to, uh, for the introduction of GST to commence on the first business day following the 30th of June, but not at midnight. But not at midnight. Well, continuing on that political theme. So, you know, you you were president of the AHA for 24 years. You were um, um, president nationally. Um, uh, we had gaming introduced uh, in, um, well, was passed in the parliament in 1992 in South Australia. But uh, the industry went through many, many years of, of, of no pokies having representation in parliament, which must have made life pretty difficult for you? Yes. Um, the, the lawyer turned uh, political aspirant, uh, now the Honourable Nick Xenophon, um, contested the 1997 election. 
and he harvested preference votes in a way that has seldom been replicated. And with a, I think, a primary vote of about one and a half or two percent primary vote, he ma he managed to mop up enough preferences to get the last spot in the upper house in South Australia. And he was a thorn in our side for a lot of years. He uh, then liked the life in uh, on that stage and transitioned to the Senate and made the life of um, the gaming industry nationally mm. a bit of misery. He got a huge... Um, gush of confidence in, uh, I think it was 2017, and um, uh, decided that he would quit the Senate, run for a local seat, and got some very favourable polling. Indeed. There were, uh, people were saying he was going to be the, the next Premier. The next Premier. And that gave him the, fortunately, gave him the confidence to run a candidate in every state. If he'd in fact run in the, his own uh, seat and maybe one or two others, he would have, um, in all probability, as the election uh, transpired, held the balance of power and would have. And he had a policy of uh, wiping out gaming mm. from the state. Mm. So, what in what was uh, really my final chapter uh, as. Um, as president of the uh, AHASA, uh, we ran a very, very, our biggest campaign ever. We had been uh, putting aside money for several years uh, for the rainy day. The rainy day arrived. We got financial assistance uh, from uh, the AHA in New South Wales because they understood the uh, what the uh, the danger for the industry nationally, uh, we ran a, a fantastic My Job, My my Pub, My Jobs campaign. And uh, of course, instead of uh, the aspiration of Nick, he, he got an absolute donut, zero mm. seats. Mm. Uh, there was a change of government and um, the rest is history. But he was a master, uh, not manipulator, but he, he really was a media darling and he publicity stunts and he could garner headlines and he jumped on causes and he was, you know, it was very polarising because he was seen as the good guy and, and you were the pokey barons. Oh, I know. He made our life a misery and he was a very clever retail politician. Mm. Very, very clever indeed. And it's uh, an issue of great fortune for us uh, that he got overambitious. Peter, you um, just said then that you put aside money for a, a rainy day. Now, early when you were talking about the royal, um, you mentioned the, the family name Lovell and Rick Lovell. Um, it wasn't Rick. This, he was son. He became the treasurer of the AHA um, yeah. for a, a, a very long period. Mm, longer than I was uh, state president. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I I understand that when Rick, came in, um, every year the association was in overdraft. Um, did you own your own premises at this stage? And uh, he made yeah. quite a difference to having not only balancing the books but putting away that money for a rainy day, as you say, to be able to fight these uh, campaigns. You're right in saying that uh, for most of its history the AHA had been rent payers. Uh, but um, in Peter Whalen's period we did... Uh, buy our own premises. So by the time Rick became treasurer, whilst we had no money, uh, we did at least have a, a mortgage on our own premises. But um, uh, we, we were incredibly fortunate to have a professional, a conservative professional person uh, as our treasurer. It was a, an unbelievable... Um, um, uh, relief for me as president that I knew that mm. Rick Lovell was looking after the members' money like as if it was his own. Uh, so uh, when that that's a great comfort uh, to a president to yes. know that the finances are under such good stewardship, and uh, the the members of the AHA around this state owe a great debt. 
to the great, the incredible way that Rick managed the members' funds for, I think it was nearly thirty years, mm. and uh, and in fact, um, uh, he he came up with the idea many years ago that we should just put our subs up a little bit so we could put a bit aside every year for when we had a battle to fight. For the and it war was a chest. great comfort, a war chest. Mm. And it was a great comfort when the war began that we were able to dig into that war chest, which, yep. of course, he wanted to top up again as soon as we'd spent it. <laughs> which, is a, which is a good idea if you can do it. Peter, listening to that and saying it's a great comfort to have you know, a treasurer like that, you spent countless hours working for the industry. Uh, that took you away from your pubs. Um, Jenny obviously was working as the publican and, and managing the hotels, a highly competent uh, uh, a person to be, to be doing that. Managing the hotels but also raising three kids at the time. Yes. But let, let's not make too much of a hero of her. It gave her an excuse not to have to do the washing and ironing and be able to get someone <laughs> and do the cleaning. But, but no, Jenny did Which she did would have done in the Woodner Hotel with you. You guys would uh, yes. have done everything, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. But in my era at um, uh, Jenny, uh, I wasn't married to Jenny in the Woodner era. We got married just before we shifted to Adelaide. Uh, but when we started at the Royal, yes, she was she was behind the bar doing the money, uh, doing, as you say, everything, everything, running the meals. And, in fact, the day she went into hospital uh, uh, for the birth of our first son, Nick, in 1984, uh, she'd run meals for a very busy lunch at the Marion Hotel that day. Uh, so, then, yeah, but she, yes, it, it, a very disp- – a lot of – a lot falls onto your wife when you're in those roles and uh, you're away on on uh, industry representation work at least every couple of weeks. And continuing that family theme, your children are in the business as well. Can you can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, our oldest son Nick. Uh, is not employed by the company. He still works for um, Accor, the biggest. He's a professional yield manager. Uh, he's got his own little consulting business, consultancy in the specialising in uh, accommodation yield management as well. He's got one of those analytical minds that mm-hmm. uh, can stare at screens and work out when to put the price up and when to put the price down and how to fill the most beds. Uh, he does. Um, he do, uh, assists our company with some uh, uh, yield management. Yep. Uh, Anna, uh, he is a, um, a bachelor of business, having gone to ICHM International uh, College a, of Hotel Management here, here in, Adelaide. in Adelaide, doing mm-hmm. the Swiss Hotel Association course in the only place you can do it outside Switzerland. And um, so he uh, he's got a bachelor of business from there. Uh, Samantha, our second daughter, who is just uh, return in the process of returning from um, uh, from maternity leave, um, she went down a slightly different path and uh, did a Bachelor of Commerce. Sub- subsequently, became a CA, a, a chartered accountant, and um, uh, she's come back to work today, as it happens. Um, uh, for the company in a senior finance role here. Her and her husband, Scott, opened up the uh, hotel in uh, in um, Tweed Heads for us, the Ivory uh, Waterside Tavern and Marina. Uh, they went up, they relocated to New South Wales. During, so all happening during COVID, that must have been fun. During COVID, yeah. a lot of fun, yeah. yeah. But, um, we'll save that for another day. Mm. Mm. And Anna... Um, who is uh, ducks of ICHM, as by I hasten to mention, because no other Hurley's ever been the ducks <laughs> of anything. So, and um, uh, she, um, uh, having uh, come back and worked in the company for some time in accommodation, front office management, etc., uh, then had a huge role in the redevelopment of the Marion Hotel and then uh, suggested to our general manager, Sam McGuinness, that perhaps she was the best person to 
managed the Marion and she's uh, managed the uh, or overseen the uh, phenomenal success of the renovation of the Marion Hotel. And is she on the AHA Council? Uh, yes, yeah. she is on the AHA Council. Future um, president, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go too far. No, 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 indeed. She's got a, uh, she's got a lot of work to do for us. <laughs> um, that's right, you can't spare her. Um, Peter, just finally, um, you, you um, step away from the AHA after all of those years. You, you made a sort of a clean cut um, from it. Um, but obviously you, you have very strong interests in, the, in your individual hotels and the prosperity, uh, prosperity of the industry as a whole. Um, of course, we, we've been going through some very difficult times with COVID and, and, and lockdowns, etc. But, but looking back over all of those years and then casting forward, does that, looking in the rear vision mirror, help you to, to sort of look to the future as to where pubs are going, what the issues are going to be? Look, I think it helps you, it, it, having worked so closely uh, for the best interests of the industry for so many years makes you realise the evolutionary nature of the, of the industry. Nothing ever stays the same. So that's probably one of the benefits of uh, having that, um, uh, that sort of uh, umbrella look at the industry over that period of time. And um, it's, uh, I was, um, I loved every year of uh, the 39 years I was on the AHA Council. Mm. Uh, I've been very happy to step away. We've got lots of other projects that we're working on and I've got more time to do that than I had in over, over that uh, uh, 39 years. But um, it does, uh, it gave me an appreciation of the importance of all areas and has probably helped fuel my interest in increasing our footprint in the accommodation sector of the industry because we've now got 260 rooms or so and, um, and more to come. Excellent. Peter, um, great to be able to talk about such um, incredibly important issues, um, not just to pubs but in the national economy. So thank you for your time. My pleasure.